when I uh, was a pupil in primary, which obviously wasn't yesterday, um, my school had a, a weather monitoring station. Uh, it had a, a rain gauge and uh, a Stephenson screen, one of those white boxes that stands above uh, a patch of grass uh, that contains wet and dry bulb thermometers. And during the summer of 76, there wasn't much collected in the glass bottle at the bottom of the funnel, but the mercury was quite often high. And for some reason, one day we had a lesson which was next to this weather monitoring station. Uh, and I think uh, the teacher, uh, which was uh, Mrs. Calvert, who was the wife of the minister that had just retired at the time, um, Mrs. Calvert had taken us out there, presumably to talk about the weather, but I can't really remember the topic of the class. Um, and she had a chair and we all sat on the grass and then we suddenly heard, found that our voice was drowned out by a very loud noise a very loud noise and we all looked up and we watched a Vulcan bomber fly over at probably about a couple of hundred feet and we all, and as quickly as it had appeared, it disappeared. It was gone from sight into the cloudless blue sky. But we just sat there. Looking at where it had been. Well, of course, the, the disciples did not have the noise of four jet engines to deafen them. But they had an even more awe-inspiring sight. The Lord Jesus, whom they knew well, who they had been with for three years, who had been teaching them just a minute or so earlier, was raised before them into the sky and disappeared from sight. Now, they'd already seen some amazing things in their walk with him. They'd seen him walk on the waters and calm the stormy sea. They had seen him feed 5,000 men plus women and children, with just a small boy's lunch. They had seen the healing of lepers. They'd seen the raising from death out of the tomb came Lazarus, off the sickbed came another girl. They had known for 40 days that the grave could not hold him. But yet he surprises them. 
but yet he does something even more astonishing. And so, they have left, astonished, looking upwards, just mouth open. A bit like 42 years ago, me and my classmates had been sat on the grass. And they're now looking upwards, one might say heavenwards. But of course their thoughts had been closely focused on earthly things. They'd not noticed that Jesus had already been pointing them to the heavenly realm. In verse 6, when the reading begins, they're out on the hillside and their thoughts had been of a Messiah of an earthly nature. They'd still been thinking the thoughts that they'd had before Good Friday. With the ascension about to take place, they're still in a Palm Sunday triumphant mood. They were still at the start of Holy Week, 50 days earlier, seven weeks. They were still at the turning over of the money changers' tables. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is their thought. It's a revolution, and we are going to be a part of it. They're going to see the return of power to the nation state of Israel. They're looking for a victory, but they don't realize the victory is won. I wonder how often it is true of us that we are focused on what we imagine things should be. How focused we are on our personal plan rather than God's plan. How often we have been listening to what he is telling us or whether those words have been getting spoken And we've just carried on listening to determine the words that we want to hear. That we've been with our head in the clouds, setting our own agenda, trying to shape the meaning of scripture to our understanding of the world rather than what God's understanding would be. And wherever we are on the theological spectrum, it's quite easy for us to point the finger at others and say, they're wrong. But of course, we must not focus on the idea of judging and condemning others. 
but the understanding that we ourselves were condemned. But because we discovered the love of the Father through the Son's sacrifice, we can know freedom. Jesus tries to change the followers' minds. He tries to reorientate them. As they ask the question, he says, it's not for you to know. He's saying, don't ask these questions. That's not what you're supposed to be thinking. Now, of course, asking questions is a great way of learning. Most children will readily ask questions. Sometimes ask questions that you would rather that they didn't ask, particularly not at that particular moment. It can be embarrassing for us at times. But there are times when a question is asked that we might not have the answer. Or we might not feel it is the right time to give the answer. The other day, my son was doing some maths homework. And he could do the first batch. It it was a thing set on the computer. And the, the first set of problems he got all right. And then when he went on to the second question... When it marked it, it said it was completely wrong. And it's like, how can this be right and that be wrong? You know, what's the answer to this? And of course, I, I looked at it, and I could have given him the answer, but that wouldn't have helped him. It doesn't always help to have the answer. What would he have learned? How would he have grown from simply being told what the final answer was? Instead, I'd ask him to think again, to check his work, see if he could discover what the answer was himself, and he got it right. We might know that the kingdom of God is at hand. But sometimes simply shouting that, it's not heard. It has to be seen by others. They have to come to that understanding themselves. In God's time, at the right moment, things will be revealed. At God's timing, things will happen. Part of the plan was for the believers to be blessed by the Holy Spirit. That's what... Jesus says that they're going to have to wait. This isn't the time for the answer. Wait and you'll be blessed. You'll receive a gift. 
you will receive power. And then they will be witnesses. And then the kingdom will grow. And of course, next weekend, next Sunday, we will mark Pentecost. And that gift of the Spirit has two things. It, it marks us as being God's people. It's a sign put upon us that we are his. We are forgiven. We have been redeemed. The price has been paid. But the Holy Spirit also equips us to build the church, which is the body of Christ. And so Jesus talks of this commission. Here we're to be witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That's not proposing a flat earth. But it's just saying you keep going. You keep going. You keep going. You'll never get to the end of the earth. But some of us, when we hear the you of you will receive power, we say that's plural. We all get it. But then we choose what we're going to hear when it's the you and you will be my witnesses. And we kind of treat it as if it was you singular and it's being spoken to somebody else. It's also plural. You, you will be my witnesses to all who are there. We each have a part to play, telling the story, proclaiming the love with actions and words to people of every tribe and nation. There will be no geographical boundaries when the kingdom is in its fullness. Remember that if you are a Christian born in this country, you have more in common with the Christian plumber from Poland or the Christian refugee from Syria than the non-Christian person that you actually went to school with. The one that you share an office with, the one that you have as a neighbour. You are made one. You are made part of a family, of God's family, united by that spirit that will come at Pentecost. And it was as Jesus was making this point that the kingdom spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That it's going on and on. 
that there is a global realm, not a when will the power be restored to Israel, but to every tongue it's going to be coming. It's as he's sharing that with them that he ascends and disappears. No wonder they're left stood there staring into space going, what now? And the angel has to effectively say, get on with it. Go on. Stop looking at the heavens. Don't wait for him to come right now. You've got things to do. Standing still does not bring the kingdom. Standing still with our mouth open does not move people forward. And it is a failure of understanding what God wants. He wants people to change, to grow, to learn, to adapt to the new day. So that his message of love may be heard by new people. The disciples were in awe of what had happened to Jesus. But it was not going to serve the Lord if they simply stayed there and didn't return to Jerusalem. They're told, go back to the city. And they're told not to leave Jerusalem. Not to leave until the Spirit comes. But that doesn't mean to say they were to be inactive until the Spirit comes. It doesn't mean to say they were supposed to twiddle their thumbs. You know. They were to be his people of action. And it's a reminder to all of us who gather on on Sundays or at other times to worship. That we must also go home. And equipped by the Spirit, which we have already received, we don't have to wait for next Sunday for our celebration of Pentecost. We're already equipped by the Spirit. We go to our workplace or to our school, to our street, and whatever club we are a member of, to do the Lord's work. Jesus wants you to be sharing his hope and his love. So the disciples go. And as they spend that week waiting for the blessing that will come from heaven, they meet and they pray together. So I'm going to give you some homework. This week, as you wait for Pentecost, do some work. Pray. Pray at home. You might want to meet at the prayer meeting tomorrow morning where we can meet together and pray as a church. 
You might visit the Thy Kingdom Come prayer space, which is at the Methodist Church on Perry Mount Road, this week. But that's your homework. Don't just gop at the sky. Become the people of action. Amen.